Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are you gonna love them or hate them? Here comes the binge. Hey everybody, welcome to the Binge Movie Podcast, in which a couple of homos review the latest movie theater releases from our own queer-ass perspectives. I am Jason Leroy. And I'm Rebecca Olarte, and today we're gonna look at three movies. Uh, Barbershop, The Next Cut, The Jungle Book, and The First Monday in May. And as always, we're gonna rate these on a three-tiered scale, with Binge It being our highest rating. Consume in moderation means it's okay, but it's kind of meh. And send it back means... Life is too short for that mess. Let's get started. What's up with you, Jason? Well, thank you for asking, first of all. <laughs> I feel like I don't always say that. <laughs> uh, today was kind of a big day for me and Scott because we have booked a trip to Europe. What? Yes. This is like a... Boys from the States take take on the old country. It's that thing, it's a tale as old as time, and it's the words you exactly just used. (laughs) (laughs) Oldest cliche in the book. Boys from the old country take on the big... Yeah, that was what we were like talking to each other about. Like, we want to be those boys in that story everyone always talks about. (laughs) Um, So So cliche. It is, but you know, it's tired, it's spent, but it's our turn to be that cliche. Where are you going? uh, We are going to do um, four nights in Berlin, six nights in Paris, and then four nights in Barcelona. Wow, that is very gay. <laughs> is it? Is that the gay tour? <laughs> I think it is. <laughs> because we're not going to Italy? Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the straights go to Italy and the gays go everywhere else. The yeah, gays the go to Berlin and Paris. Yeah. the, the And Barcelona. Straights, exactly. <laughs> straights go to, uh, yeah, Italy, Greece. Oh, yeah. Um, well, Istanbul's but, a big one. But isn't Lesbos in Greece? I mean, if you went like 3,000 years ago, then that would have been a different... <laughs> Situation. Are you telling me that my dream of one day going to Lesbos is like not going to come true? No, you've already gone there. Uh, <laughs> I'd like to think that it's a state of mind. <laughs> uh, so uh, yeah, so it's a it's uh, we're really excited and also you know of course trembling in terror about the overall cost, but we're just sure. going for it because like I always say, life's too short. And uh, so very excited. And I was whenever I travel anywhere, I go on Polestar.com to see if there are any concerts happening. Polestar? P-O-L-L. Is that like um, World Star Hip Hop? Uh, it's exactly like it. Okay. So I spend an hour watching videos of women beating each other up in restaurants. And then <laughs> I check out what's happening in a concert scene. You got to be travel ready. And, uh, and so it turns out that while we're in Paris... There is a festival happening, a music festival called We Are Green, and the headliner the second night is PJ Harvey. What? Oh, that's so perfect for you. So I know, and there's the the bill is really good. There's like James Blake, Savages. Oh, um, it, in it's Paris. In Paris. That's amazing. So what like, are you doing? No idea that that was happening. Because um, you didn't file the your time off request for I, the podcast. Actually, if you look, you'll see that I deleted both iCal's for the podcast we record during those two weeks. Oh, is that what that was? Yes. So you're going like next winter? Uh, no, no, no. It's like if we're going to be gone like May 28th to June 12th or something like that. Oh, you're going like next month? Yeah. Oh, no wonder the cost is so crazy. Yeah, well, I mean, it's not even like it's not insane, but yeah, I mean, it's 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 okay. It's okay. Uh, yeah, it's it's it kind of Scott just kind of has a wild hair of his ass about it, and so when, when he gets one of those, I don't question it. And uh, so we're just seeing it through. That and, phrase uh, never gets old. No, it really doesn't. It never gets less graphic, does it? <laughs> well, are you mental pictures? Are you picturing a wild hair up Scott's ass? Oh God, like a like a rabbit. <laughs> like a ra- oh, like a ra- oh, that kind of hair. God, I was thinking, I was thinking like a follicle. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> I don't know. I would like to, if any of you know the origin of the phrase wild hair up your ass, well, if you know tweet us. Spe- if you know how to spell it, Yeah, if you know which hair you... it's talking about, any of it, tweet us. You know uh, <laughs> what it, they meant. Uh, and then, of course, I asked Mima if she'd be interested in coming down from London to see PJ with us. And mm-hmm. So we'll see if that happens. Oh, great. Yeah. That's it's, fantastic. It's fun times. So that is that just happened today. So that's what's up with me. Wow. Yeah. What's up with you, Rebecca? Wow. How do I follow that story up? Um, what is up with me? Um, a, fr- a friend of ours a friend of a friend mutual friend of ours has convinced me to explore skateboarding so i'm going to borrow her skateboard over the weekend and Mm. if i don't break anything um i might i don't know what the next step would be getting one 
support and being you know, building it or something. Um, I have not yet told my wife. Um, oh, so well, hopefully you tell her before this hits the airwaves. No, I'm hoping she'll no, hear it here first, and then she, and then you'll get angry. I also was reading this um, how to learn how to skateboard mm-hmm. um, thing on the internet, and it was like if you're not comfortable, just like put it in the lawn and stand on it. So maybe when I'm standing in the front yard on a skateboard all by myself, and she's like, like some weird "What are you gnome. doing?" <laughs> then maybe I'll tell her. <laughs> She, um, oh my God. I think she'll be okay with it because um, I haven't spent a lot of money on anything yet. Because mm. that's my thing is that I like, I'm into this thing now and then I spend a bunch of money on it and then sure. it goes away and yeah, then I have three telescopes. <laughs> so, well, when you said you were worrying about breaking something, I'm assuming you mean my arm when I start following you around singing Skater Boy all the time. <laughs> your Avalavine cover? That's the thing you're going to be breaking. Uh, midlife crisis is real. <laughs> they are, guys. That is for sure. I bought a motorcycle last year and uh, this is the skateboard year. Oh, well, I'm planning and, on putting them on each other. So. Yeah. Your ponytail has a ponytail. It's really out of control. <laughs> Wait till I get that little sports car. Hey, Um, Okay. Movies now? Movies now. How about the first movie, which is Barbershop, The Next Cut? As their surrounding community has taken a turn for the worse, the crew at Calvin's Barbershop come together to bring some much-needed change to their neighborhood. This neighborhood was always rough. But there's something different going on. Hey, shoot out there. I don't want to tie a virgin. Get your old ass down, man. I ain't getting down there. Take me too long to get back up. Well, it's happened. We found a movie that we are not sure we can talk about. <laughs> but we're going to try. We're going to do our best. Uh, okay, so first a little background. Well, we want to talk about why we feel like we can't talk about it? No. Well, now we have to. We can't just say that and then dive into the review. So anyway, no, that's, I'm not talking about it. <laughs> I'm doing a good job of not talking about it. What? What? What's wrong? Why couldn't? You, why can't you talk about it? So, guys, Barbershop: The Next Cut is kind of like formation in the sense that it is not for us. Um, by us, I mean the non-African American folks of the world. <laughs> It is, it has a specific, uh, it's very much, uh, it's very much sort of a manifesto, a state of the black union uh, address aimed at sort of contemporary black America. And as such, we feel a little out of our element finding ways to talk about it, certainly to critique it. Uh, So we're going to try to find ways to talk about it that don't make Rebecca kick me under the table. (laughs) Or punch you in the face. (laughs) She's Um, a puncher. Yeah, I think that I felt like it was very apparent how much I don't know. Um, So I think it's an opportunity to educate ourselves. Like, you know, since we watched it, um, I watched a uh, a little documentary news story about kind of the uh, music scene in in Chicago. And and that had a little insight about what's going on. I mean, you know, we read the news kind of as it comes up, but like getting a thorough idea of like what's going on in Chicago, what are the issues, um, what are the issues that the middle class is having and dealing with this. There's a lot to be learned. So I think there's a real opportunity here. Um, this is a good jumping off point to like get more familiar with what's going on. Um, but yeah, it's difficult to critique when we don't, we aren't very familiar with the situation. There are a lot of cultural references we don't understand. Um, so. Well, that we can only really make our best guess about. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, so in, in, in if it sounds like we're being overly serious about a barbershop movie, that's because this movie is pretty fucking serious. It is. Surprisingly so. Um, so now should we take a step back? Yes. Um, and talk about the first, barbersh- first two barbershop movies. The first one came out in 2002, and then the second one is in 2004. And then Beauty Shop, mm, which that you love, dropped in 2005. Yes. So it's been about a decade since we saw any of these characters last. Um, Ice Cube, Cedric the Entertainer, Eve, mm-hmm. um, John Patrick Thomas. Um, otherwise, we have a brand new cast. Who do we have in there? We do. We, we do. Uh, yeah, so um, I, it, it turns out Common was actually not in the previous movies. Mm. It made it sound like he's been there the whole time. He wasn't? No. Huh. Yeah, no, I looked up d- today on IMDb to be like, so wait, so who all's new and who all's old? And Common is like, yeah, he, they're just like, oh, yeah, no, he was there the whole time. No, he wasn't. They're trying really? To, they're trying to trick us. 
Um, and so we have uh, we have the a wonderful Regina Hall, mm-hmm. uh, who kind of has a throwaway role of sorts as the leader, more or less, of the female half of the barbershop. Mm-hmm. Um, we have uh, kind of the awkward dude comedy duo MVPs of Dion Cole from Blackish <laughs> and Lamorne Morris from New Girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have Nicki Minaj. Nicki Minaj. Nicki Minaj playing a character named Drea, uh, which is absolutely a thought code name um, because of a woman who was on Basketball Eyes LA by that name, who is like the world's most legendary thought. So the character is meant to be trifling because she's named Drea. Oh, really? Yes, yeah, so that's thing? a cultural reference I did pick up on. Oh, good. Yes. Good <laughs> because of my, my reality wife life. So... So Nikki's there, and uh, and I'd say that she is uh, she's funny. You know, I think she's mm-hmm. you know yeah. like she's in her you know she's in a she's in a, a flow here. You know, she uh, in the other woman was kind of a t- she was the token in that movie, mm-hmm. um, and in this she kind of gets to you know like feel her oats. Like she's she's funny. She's good with her dialogue. She has yeah. good comic timing. You know the, the way the way that she contorts her voice lends itself well to acting. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and you never know what she's going to do with a line reading because she is so elastic with the way that she says words. <laughs> so you never know how it's going to come out of her mouth. Yeah. Uh, the funny thing though, is that like some of them, some of the characters are dressed the way that you would expect like a person working in a barbershop in the South side of Chicago to dress. Mm-hmm. Nicki Minaj is dressed like Nicki Minaj. She is. But. She, I, yeah, she's Nicki Minaj. Yeah. She's playing herself. She's like, I'll do the movie if I can dress the way I want. And right. they're like, You got it, Ms. Minaj. But don't you think maybe there's someone in in the barbershop that um, wants to dress like Nicki Minaj? Well, yes, but that would not look like Nicki Minaj. That would look uh, like someone trying mm-hmm. to dress like Nicki Minaj. Gotcha. Okay. This is Nicki with her like million dollar hair and her like insane jewelry and her okay. like and her like couture cutout, you know, outfits. Like she looks amazing mm-hmm. um, in a way that only Nicki Minaj herself could look. So. Okay, that's another one lost on me. I, I'm not too sure with how Nicki Minaj dresses or what her look it's is. The way she does in the movie. Um, and then another person on board that's new is Kenya Barris, who's the creator of Blackish, mm-hmm. um, who co-wrote and co-produced this movie. Yes. Yes. And it feels very Blackish. Uh, that was something mm-hmm. that was, was kind of apparent you know these these movies have always been the black uh, the barbershop movies have always been. Um, have I like how you're saying like these things and these people, but uh, you're like, and by these people, uh, I mean yeah, the actors in exactly. this particular I'm movie. Like, I don't want you to punch me in the face. So I'm just going to you know, cut out all the, the other things to make this. I'm just going to super cut this and you sounding terrible. <laughs> <laughs> just me going like black, 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 black. <laughs> um, so uh, so yeah, so the barbershop movies usually, you know, they always have that kind of stagey feel you know like these just long scenes of dialogue mm-hmm. being played out by all the same actors sitting in this one location sitting in this barber shop right um but you know whereas past editions of the movie have kind of been more playful and more silly and irreverent uh you know this time it's about very real things by which we mean the violence in the south side of chicago mm-hmm. um and uh so this is this this whole movie is about that Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so it's about it in a macro sense where we have these characters all talking about it constantly and being affected by it and ducking when there's gunfire outside. Right. And then we have it in a more uh, in a more micro sense because we have the sons of two of the characters who are being recruited by a local gang, mm-hmm. the gang leader of which is played by Tyga of, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. of, of gender dating fame. So or muse rap music if you are, no. are not following reality shows. Oh please, no, that's that goes beyond following reality shows, Rebecca. <laughs> this is this is when it's the Kardashians. It's not like oh you almost, you must watch a reality show if you know what they're doing. Okay, we can't get away from what they do, <laughs> uh, or who. And in that case, it's Tyga. So uh, yeah, so it's about it's very much about that. And uh, and Kenya Barris has displayed on Blackish a really great uh, knack for being able to balance, you know, just hilarious character driven humor uh with thoughtful commentary Mm -hmm. and uh you know there was a recently they had the episode that was entirely about um they kind of had like a bottle episode about all the 
uh, members of the family watching a verdict come in about, um, you know, a police officer who had shot an unarmed black man. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, and so it was a very special episode of Blackish. And this this movie kind of feels like that. It feels like a special episode of Barbershop. It does. And I, I think it also mirrors Blackish in that it's kind of the same setup. Like it's a man who's a central character who's struggling between wanting what's best with his family and like maintaining a sense of identity and not like selling out. Um, mm-hmm. Which is like a lot of what Blackish struggles with. The um, yeah, right. The question of you know wanting to be proudly black and celebrating that identity, but mm-hmm. also being very much concerned with respectability politics. Right. Yeah. Definitely. Which is what makes Kenny Bear such a latter day Bill Cosby in that sense. <laughs> there. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't feel like it was too. The, some of the characters, and there are also characters in in Barbershop that range range in age mm-hmm. so I think that there, that was represented I didn't feel like it was overwhelmingly um, preachy about respectable or yeah. Well, I mean, I, insofar as we have, you know, the Ice Cube character who's meant to be sort of the protagonist and, you know, and he's lecturing his son about cutting off his locks and pulling his pants up. So that's an interesting thing is from that, that music um, mm-hmm. show that I watch is I, I think there is a very a real association with that particular hairstyle mm-hmm. and some of the like bigger drill rappers who kind of um, advocate for violence. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think that that it, the like the hairstyle comment was a little bit more than just like pick up your pants. Right, there was more to it. Yeah, that. I think it was a little bit the more specific, pointed about like something gang. that would be recognized as being a gang signifier. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think that was a little bit more uh, loaded. Interesting. And mm-hmm. see here, and I was erring on the side of being too, like, overcompensating white liberal. Like, let his black hair be his black hair. Let it be beautiful. Let him wear it in locks. It looks great. <laughs> so, yes, I was I was white explaining to Ice Cube why it was racist that he was asking his son to cut off his locks. <laughs> so that's what I'm doing today. We yeah. are. This is a very tough. No, this isn't hard for us. Things aren't hard for us. <laughs> this, ah, there's nothing I can say. <laughs> it's like, this is a growing opportunity. Ah, we should know. I don't know. <laughs> okay, let's talk about something that we know is wrong. Sexism. <laughs> but there's nuance oh, here as but well. It, but is there? I'm not going to preach this. I don't know. <laughs> oh, don't you know. poor thing. I'm, well, I'll I say it. Know. Okay, so, yeah, you just... you know, so I think that there is, there's still, um, there's problematic humor in the movie. There is casual, um, reflexive homophobia. Mm-hmm. Um, there mm-hmm. are several jokes made about a character being gay who is not gay mm-hmm. and um, and the kind of the panic that he feels when he senses everyone thinks that he's gay uh, and uh, there are there are jokes about women of size at the very beginning of the movie mm-hmm. there is a woman of size who is brought out purely as a sight gag yeah uh, and then joked about once she leaves. Right. Uh, so, um, and they, you know, they, they can put a lot of offensive things in Cedric the Entertainer's mouth because he's meant to be the voice of the old school. And right. so we're supposed to be like, oh, well, it's cool. He's saying it. I mean, the movie doesn't th- agree with him. Right. Um, but, uh, but yeah. Uh, and then just kind of a lot of regressive, I think, gender role reinforcement. Yeah. Um, of men be like this, but women be like this. And I think that, I think that that existed in the movie, but there was definitely another voice. Like there was another voice to approaching the homophobic character about like, and even if you were gay, I know well, that's yeah, a that's kind a, of yeah, like that's, a that's, that's a cover your ass line. That's like a, that's like a, okay, well let's throw in the line where they say, but even if you were, it would be okay. Like that's a single line that is just cover your ass. That's not, that's disingenuous. Okay. Um, but what about the the other like so the in this barbershop it's like the men and the women have combined their barbershops into one, um, so there's a lot of this like back and forth about um, gender roles and like mm-hmm. relationships, um, but there's there's definitely a voice of like of women in the barbershop that are like it's not like that like this you can't expect that, um, they they're speaking up for common sense mm-hmm. in this case so it, there, there's there's giving a voice to it it's not just like a one sided. Yeah, but I guess I felt like even then it felt like a very traditional sitcom dynamic where, like, you know, the men are just kind of like fools and the women have to be the sensible ones being like, well, no, you know, this is how it actually is. You men are crazy. Uh, so I feel like that is yeah. like what we settle in, in, you know, Kenny Bear showing his kind of sitcom roots in that sure. sense. Where even on, you know, on Blackish, you have Anthony Anderson who get who has to, you know, have all these crazy tantrums and Tracy Ellis Ross is mm-hmm. playing a doctor and is like, Dre, stop it. You know, mm-hmm. so and she gets to have her crazy moments on the show too, and she's wonderful. Um, but but uh, <laughs> but I guess I felt like uh, yeah, it was just kind of putting women in the position of having to be like, no, like okay, dudes, we need to check you because you're being stupid, which is just very sitcommy. I didn't think that anything they were saying was especially 
like progressive. I thought it was like no. very basic 101 like girl power stuff. I didn't think it was, you know. So yeah, they're there. They have a voice. The space this the space is split. If not 50-50, then 60-40. Cuz I feel like the women's side like doesn't go all the way to the back the way the men's <laughs> side does. <laughs> that is true. Um I guess just like in the next step of the trilogy, like for the movie to go and take a complete 180 in terms of uh, stance on these issues from the last movie would seem maybe unrealistic. I think that mm-hmm. it's taking a progressive turn. Um, and then maybe the next one will be even more progressive. I think it's headed in the right direction. It's not mm-hmm. wh- It's not where movies that we expect to be. And I know we, we give, we've each given panic passes to movies for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think in terms of where this franchises it's it's headed in the right direction around those issues it's yeah. not there it's no. definitely not there and i applaud that the movie is so ambitious to, in the direction of being thoughtful and of wanting to be about something important mm-hmm. and uh you know and of taking it you know making a gesture toward having women be represented in the room so that's not just a movie about a bunch of guys standing around talking about things mm-hmm. so yeah that that in that sense it's 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 great but there's, 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 room, there's room for improvement. There's definitely room for improvement. But in that agreed, sense, it's agreed. a great thing that they did. So it's uh, four by and about black Americans here in 2016. Um, but like it was surprisingly light on like blaming external forces. Right. Um, there was kind of no talk of the police. The only time that the issue of the police comes up is, uh, so as is, as is, I guess, the tradition, at least in Beauty Shop, that's my main point of reference. In Beauty Shop, they bring in <laughs> Alicia Silverstone is there to be the non-black person working at the salon. So in this, we have an Indian dude who is, who plays Mindy's brother on the Mindy Project, mm-hmm. um, and he at one point is tasked with the enviable job of having to say like, "Well, you know, my parents came mm-hmm. over as immigrants mm-hmm. from India, and they are doing very well, and they had a lot of struggle. So why is it any harder for you?" Which is which is such a softball, just like lob it oh, up yeah. there for like every character just like pounce on mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so the only time that they really bring up the issue of like all of like the insane ongoing wave of murders of unarmed black people by the police is to shut down the indian guy's attempt to say that his people have it harder right yeah <laughs> so yeah so they bring up they they talk about the you know the bigger bigger picture of, of slavery and mm-hmm, they're like mm-hmm. you know we weren't we didn't we weren't we didn't immigrate, immigrate. we were imported mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so and then they just dive into all that stuff. So it's only when it's a, someone who's an outsider that they bring that stuff up. And when that's but when they're talking to themselves, that's when it becomes more about this kind of like this is where I feel especially like ill-equipped to comment because it feels very much like something that is not. It's really there are so many things here that Kenya Barris wants to impart to the black community about like what he views as their responsibilities to themselves to address the violence. And so in that sense, I'm kind of like, I feel like I shouldn't be in the room to even hear because it has nothing, you know, it doesn't concern me. And I feel like it would almost be too validating to angry conservative white people who always say that, you know, black people need to deal with this in their community. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, well, like, you don't really, that's not for you to say. Right. And, um, and so similarly, it's not for me to like sit here and be like listening in and right, then right, reporting right. back to everybody about what they said. You know what I mean? Oh, God. <laughs> so. <laughs> that's the theme of this podcast. Yes. Uh, so, but that was, that was surprising to me though. I thought it was, I thought it would be a lot more sort of activist. Um, but, uh, it's really not at all. Um, mm-hmm. it's very much, as I said, sort of a state of the union manifesto, um, sort of directed toward the back, uh, the black community. I think, again, I watched one documentary and I'm a <laughs> you know it all. fucking master of race relations in yeah, Chicago. Yeah, you are. Um, there are a lot of efforts going on there, uh, community efforts to do things about violence. I think that mm-hmm. there's, you know, a lot of people are very familiar with the structure that set up the situation, uh, projects and the destruction of projects, incarceration issues, drug issues, all of these things in the past 30 to a million years mm-hmm. that have all sort of led to the, the problem we have now. And um, I, I think that while police violence is also an issue, um, there is a, another issue here and it mm-hmm. is, you know, these gangs. Right. Um, and I think that people are running out of ideas and, and running out of hope. And, and But there are these like really strong community characters that are trying right. to like create after school programs and Certainly. like come out of jail and try to be mentors to, to um, young young people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that this does reflect one particular um, struggle and situation that's happening in Chicago. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, no, it's unquestionably happening. You know, and like, that said, I think today that there was like a huge report that came out about how racist the uh, Chicago police right, are. Right, right. 
Um, which... And this is why I don't understand when people praise Chicago. I'm like, Chicago doesn't sound like a very fun place. Yeah, you <laughs> know what? Nobody likes pizza that deep. No, it's, first of all, that's, that's ridiculous. That's not even pizza. That's ridiculous. Second of all, who wants to be that landlocked? I mean, how paranoid do you have to be about tsunamis to be with that? It's just, come on. Um, so you saw Chirac. 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 Yeah. Um, Not to be confused with Diddy's vodka, Ciroc. Ciroc. That's a potato vodka? I believe so. Yeah. Um, I didn't. I haven't seen it yet. Um, that really is on should. my to-do list oh, this week. Man. I mean, I just saw Spy after you've been right, yes. nagging me, and I right. liked it. Yes. Um, this one is more important, but I haven't seen it. How mm-hmm. is this different from Chirac? Well, see, and that's the that's that's the interesting question because so Chirac, as you guys may have read about, was really getting the business um, from Chance the Rapper, among other Chicago figures, I think, who were furious at Spike Lee for reasons that I'm not like entirely clear on since Chance the Rapper cooperates with this movie. And well, these are both, both what I heard heard there is that like there's the fact beat, that it's right? called Chirac, I think is like that was like one of his main issues. Like, no, no one calls it that. No one calls it Chirac. And Spike Lee's like, yeah, they do. Mm-hmm. And Chance the Rapper just really like had beef about that. And I think Spike Lee being Spike Lee is like, I don't give a fuck what you think. Um right. I'm Spike Lee. And uh, and so and then I don't know if it was just about egos or what, but this movie, like that movie, is a huge sort of like indictment of how entrenched the violence is, the gang violence is in Chicago and mm-hmm. the South Side of Chicago. It has the same setting, mm-hmm. uh, it has the same overall theme, um, and I think you know, and Chirac is is way more artful. It's way more experimental. It's way more challenging. Has way more ideas. Um, it's just, it's just such a, it's such a amazing movie, like nothing I've seen before. Um, and yet, and yet that movie kind of got demonized by those within Chicago, maybe because Spike Lee is such a typical New Yorker. Maybe he's just like yeah, one, of those, one of those archetypal New Yorkers and they're uh-huh. like, Hey, New York, shut the fuck up. Yeah. You like deal with yourself. Like don't come for us. Don't come for Chicago. Um, so it may have just been some kind of weird city rivalry going on there. And for whatever reason, they're like cool with, you know, their, you know, barbershop has its has been doing the Chicago story for you know over over a decade and so they are cool with it yeah I mean it's um, like it's very it was very much like it's a Spike Lee joint like it's a very much his movie mm-hmm. f- from someone who's not from that city right um I, and I there I, I had read that there was something like chance the rapper's uh, father was involved in government so I think mm-hmm. there's a lot of like uh, criticism there that's taken personally right about how things were handled but, yeah there yeah there may but be is, is Chirac as approachable as Barbershop no 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 I mean Barbershop is so accessible um yeah I mean Chirac is a very challenging very weird movie mm-hmm. and yeah and it does have a more sort of far-reaching critique because I think this movie is very like boots on the ground mm-hmm. it's just about it's just about these these people walking in and out of a barbershop mm-hmm. and like and the people outside the barbershop on the sidewalks and that's it you know like Chirac has like levels yeah that it's looking at so it's a, it's a broader scope that it has and so it's taking on more and Barbershop is just doing a really simple thing, deceptively simple, but, you know, of just like telling a story about regular folks in a barbershop and, mm-hmm. how, and how it affects them sort of as a front line. So for two people who um, watch movies um, and are trying to learn about things but don't know everything and have a lot to learn, um, we've talked a lot about race and um, its, place in, its place in this movie, um, but as a movie... Right. How did you think? What did you think of Barbershop? Just as a movie. As a movie, uh, I think that it was funny. Um, I think that it was formulaic. It has the, the, has the same formula as the previous Barbershop movies and Beauty Shop. Um, <laughs> it is too long. Uh, it's like almost two full hours long, mm-hmm. which is too long uh, for a comedy. Uh, it has an almost laughably easy resolution for a conflict that like by all rights should have had some kind of consequence yeah um in terms of sort of a a main family tension that that developed over the course of the film so i feel like it kind of let itself off the hook in a really shitty way at the end Mm -hmm. like because like in in you know we can talk about this when we're not recording because it's kind of spoilery but it kind of is like did this one main villain character just kind of be like oh oh that's cool never mind all right well cool on your way then mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. it's like really movie like it it just wanted to be like okay well let's just like have a happy you know this thing work out okay and then we're and then we'll have a sacrificial lamb somewhere else and then we're done so 
So I feel like as a movie, it's a little, you know, just structurally it's sloppy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it, and it kind of is so concerned with, you know, writing these like lengthy dialogue driven scenes of just volleying back and forth from all the characters standing in the barbershop that it kind of doesn't pay enough attention to the, the, the storyline that tries to develop outside of the barbershop. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, so I think that's a little weak. Um, and I also thought that just the casting of uh, the casting of Nicki Minaj opposite Eve was almost cruel to me. <laughs> just because like Eve has to play sort of like the harried old wife uh, and Nikki's like the new hotsy totsy on the block and she's catching Common's eye and while Eve is just staying there like glowing like glowering mm-hmm. and uh, you know and uh, and I'm just like and poor Eve can't have can't it can't feel good to have to sort of emulate and mirror your career relationship <laughs> to a fellow female MC in a fictional movie role as well. You're yeah. like, come on, guys. But with that said, Eve in this movie gets to deliver like the bluntest sexual invitation that I feel like I've oh, ever yeah. seen. <laughs> I think you howled. I screamed, yeah, I think. You did. Yeah, it was good. That was a shock. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I did not see that coming. <laughs> Common's so good. Yeah, he's always, he's, he just knocks it out of the park. Yeah, he's just fun to watch. Acting was great. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 especially bad performances. Um, you know, I, yeah, it's it's you know everyone's kind of the repeat the turning actors have played these characters twice before, so they can mm-hmm. do it in their sleep. Uh, the new cast members are great. Uh, so yeah, so and you, there's definitely no shortage of energy from the cast. Like they're all very charming and watchable. So there's no shortage of heart in this movie. Yeah, no, there's a lot you of heart. It. It's very earnest. Mm-hmm. It's a very earnest movie. Um, so that said, what are you giving it? Uh, I'm giving it consumer moderation. I'm also giving it consumer moderation. Excellent. Barbershop, the next cut is out now, and it's rated PG-13 for sexual material and language. Movie number two, The Jungle Book. The man-cub Mowgli flees the jungle after a threat from the tiger Shere Khan. Guided by Bagheera the panther and the bear Baloo, Mowgli embarks on a journey of self-discovery, though he also meets creatures who don't have his best interests at heart. Are you alone out here? What are you doing so deep in the jungle? Don't you know what you are? I know what you are. I know where you came from. Poor, sweet little cow. I'll keep you close. Let go of your fear now. And trust in me. So I think when we all heard the live-action Disney adaptation of The Jungle Book, directed by John Favreau, mm. we weren't quite sold. Maybe the part of um, Blue would be played by... Um, Vince Vaughn. Vince Vaughn. Yeah. That would be terrible. You know he had to pitch it. <laughs> that had to have been brought in some early meeting. Uh, it's doing well, though. 94% on Rotten Tomatoes at our last checking. Yeah. The um, reviews have been through the roof. I haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. I also haven't seen the original one since 1984. Um, is this praise deserved? So, okay. So w- the thing with me in this movie is something that happens sometimes where I watch a movie and I'm like, this is a good movie. This is, there's, I have no, I have no objections to what I'm watching. This is well done. Uh, cool. Good job, everyone. Great work. But it just doesn't really like get me excited, mm-hmm. and so then I don't really have like anything that exciting to say about it. Like, is it a kids movie? It is a kids movie. Um, you know, it's a Disney live action kids movie, and it really is like it's incredibly done. You know, like I was kind of thinking about it in terms of like what it is and what it isn't. So it is a big budget studio movie that consists entirely of a single child actor. And a bountiful supply of these animals. It is not cliche and manipulative and obvious, hmm. uh, which uh, is very impressive. It's subtle. It's understated. It's it's mature. It's sophisticated. It's gorgeously made. Huh. 
Uh, so, and, uh, but with all that said, I was kind of like, I don't know, my mind was wandering the whole time I was watching the movie. And you're not even a child. No. <laughs> I feel like a child would definitely pay better attention to this movie than I did. Yeah. Um, but I, I do think that, you know, it, it, yeah, I don't know. I was, it just didn't really hold my attention super well, but I wasn't like even like, I wasn't mad at it for that. I was like, yeah, I don't know. Like this is the, like barbershop. It's not for me. Uh, you know, it's, uh, yeah, I, I just wasn't that I was like, yep, no, no complaints. Like perfectly good movie. It just didn't really make me excited. I'm not I wasn't, like running out. Have you ever watched a movie and you've, and you've been like, yeah, it's fine. Or like, you don't even think about what you think about it. And then later on someone's like, oh, was that good? And you're like, yeah. And um, they're, and they're, and they're, they're like, well, is it or isn't it? You're like, I mean, it wasn't bad. I feel like that's how I would have been about The Revenant had I not like had so many expectations about what oh. to think about it ahead of time. I felt like mm-hmm. if it hadn't, if I'd seen it before it got the buildup yeah, or well, there was no Leo sitch, right. um, that's how well, I would have felt about The Revenant. Well, like, this, oh, yeah, it's well this is basically The Revenant, but in the jungle. So. Oh, there is a bear in that one too. <laughs> there is a bear. <laughs> and one single actor. Yes. Uh, so, and The Revenant had some more people. But Tom yeah. Hardy. Yes. Um, this has one kid. It does. What is that like? That's got to be hard. Does he do a good job? He does. So, yeah, this kid's name is like Neil Sethi. Mm-hmm. He's 12 currently. I don't know how old he was when he shot this. Um, but so the nudity might be inappropriate. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, this kid, like, he is quite literally the only human being on screen for the entire movie. Wow. And, like, the kid is a natural. Like, he's guileless. He is not annoying. Um, he, you know, you don't really catch him doing like child, like mugging child actor bullshit. Like you find <laughs> on the Disney channel, you know, like it's like, he is like, you never get tired. You're never like, Oh God, I can't believe it. You know, watch, spend a whole movie watching this kid. Like he's great. He's really, really good. Maybe uh, one day we'll watch the, a remake of Wolf of Wall Street with him and Jacob Tremblay. Ooh, man. I mean, I'm not ready for Jacob Tremblay to like have his inevitable, like adult role. Yeah. So I'm glad that I'm glad that. I don't know. I'm like, am I glad that I'll be so much older? My heart's going to be fragile. <laughs> so, you know, when 15 years from now, when Jacob Tremblay does his, like, you know, you know, like, Coke addiction movie, mm-hmm. it's going to be hard on the old ticker. It won't even be Coke then. It'll be bath salt addiction movie. Oh, yeah. Or, or, meow, or meow. Chem. Chem. What's Chem? That's, like, this thing that British gay men are doing that's, like, killing them while they're having sex. Oh, like a serial killer? No, it's like a it's like a new party drug. I think it's like a more it's like a super weird synthetic meth type thing that like is it the bottle you're showing me right now? <laughs> I can just read it. Just hand it to me. Um, no, because it's almost empty, and I don't want you to drop it. <laughs> I got camel on the carpet. Um, so there's this kid, it's and then burning. there's a bunch of animals, but they're animated. Yeah, I don't even know. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> on loan from the Bronx Zoo. <laughs> no, because they look so real. Uh, they, <laughs> they look so real that I was like, so what is this all that I'm looking at? You know, like, because it's a testament to the movie's effects that, like, I, novice though I may be, was, like, completely ready to believe that it was filmed in a real jungle. And <laughs> that these, they somehow were able to tame these animals um, to walk casually next to a little boy and that the only thing that they changed was the CG talking mouth. And the rest was just naturally the animal, just a panther hanging out next to this boy. I was like, I believe it. It looks real. It's like that thing when like Conan O'Brien puts his mouth yeah. over somebody's mouth. Yeah, yeah. Like the fake, what's it? What's that called? Like, mouth swap? Yeah. It's like, it's just like playing mouth swap with these like real live animals um, <laughs> that are all hanging out while this kid's just staying there in a loincloth. So uh, no, it's if, if, if they are entirely effects... Then I mean I'm sure they also did tons of like, just like motion capture stuff just sure. with with the animals so they could just like have like all their different movements tracked and so that when they would animate them it would they would move realistically, but like yeah they're they're everything looks really good and then there there's a really good set of voice actors right yeah there are uh, so Balu is voiced by Bill Murray huh um, the uh, Bagheera. The uh, leader wolf um, is voiced by Giancarlo Esposito, weirdly. I'm like, all right, well, I guess that's a person. Uh, And his wife wolf is voiced by Lupita Nyong'o, who continues to deny the the fine people of the world uh, another glimpse at her actual form while she is acting. Every time I see that photo of her from Star Wars, I laugh (laughs) so hard. (laughs) That character is so funny looking. Oh, 
she is just a little mima. <laughs> Uh, so, and then uh, Scarlett Johansson, as you oh. heard in the trailer, is the voice of the snake. Mm. But one thing to know is that that is basically her entire scene. Uh, oh. She just has that one scene. Um, and she, I mean, she plays a shit out of that snake, though. Yeah. So hats off to ScarJo. And in, I, the, the big news here is that for the second time, for the second time in the first half, in the first quarter even, Oh, 2016, we have Idris Elba playing the oh. villain voice in an animated Disney film. So, yeah, I was going to ask how this compares to Zootopia. From your description, originally, it seems like the anti-Zootopia, which is a thing that I couldn't wait. I didn't want the movie to be over, but I couldn't wait for it to end so I could tell people how awesome it was. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, that that's a great comparison in the sense that, yeah, I, Zootopia is a movie that I, like, evangelized. I, like, mm-hmm. want to, like, run around and tell everybody, oh, you should see Zootopia. No, it's really, really good. Like, I would never in a million years be like, oh, you got to see The Jungle Book. Also, um, that would sound terrible. <laughs> if I said, you got to see The Jungle Book. Yeah. Why? What's wrong with that? <laughs> I don't know what you're oh, saying. I hate what it. the problem is with? I hate so much. Rebecca, you got to see The Jungle oh, Book. <laughs> Podcast over. <laughs> Podcast over. I know it's not Slimer and Ghostbusters, but it's so good. <laughs> Um, so, um, yeah, so it, it is kind of anti-Zootopia, but I does have Idris Elba playing, you know, in Zootopia, he wasn't so much a villain as just like the hard ass, mm-hmm. you know, um, chief deputy. And so he's just there to give our, our sweet bunny protagonist a hard time and just generally to be an, an asshole. Oh, this podcast reminds me I need to watch Zootopia again. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you, Jungle Book. Your one takeaway from this is to <laughs> watch Zootopia whenever you can. Um, so, and in that, he was, yeah, he was just generally, he was the antagonist of our main character. And this, he's also the antagonist, but he's also just a full-on villain. Because Shere Khan, mm. of course, is one of one of the great sort of Disney villains. And uh, and he he definitely, like, his, his <laughs> having his voice makes the character of Shere Khan so much more menacing. Ooh. <laughs> because Idris Elba can be so fucking scary with just his voice. Mm-hmm. Um, just so like, just like, just, it's, it's, it's great. It's a great match for a tiger. Cause the whole thing is a tiger is like, has like the most brute strength mm-hmm. and his voice just conveys that. Like yeah. I can fuck you up. <laughs> um, you know, like, you know, just going to beast of the Southern wild and how terrifying he was in that. Mm-hmm. Um, he's in, yeah, he's, he's, he's well cast here. He's well cast. If only there was Jenny Slate in the background playing, <laughs> playing a lamb. Oh. Yeah. Oh, Martin Champs. <laughs> <laughs> um, it has been a million years since I saw the original one, but one thing I can't forget are the amazing songs from it. Like, you ain't never had fun, never had <laughs> Jason just told me in a previous cut of this that that song is not from that movie. I thought for sure it was. She was like, but isn't there just the one Disney movie with the friends? Were they friends? Where else? What other song with their friends? Right. I mean, what else is it? Yeah, so Friend Like Me is not in this, um, but they do bring back at least one song from the original animated film, which is... Is it the King Louis song? It's Bare Necessities. Oh, Bare Necessities. <laughs> the one you remembered. Yes. Bare, yeah. Mm-hmm. Bare Necessities. <laughs> it's a song and Bill Murray sings it. Is it good? Um, yeah, I mean, they don't really do a full musical number. It's kind of a weird moment in the film because... Well, I was about to say, mostly it's really ground and realistic, except for all the talking animals. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it's not a kind of it's not the kind of movie where people like burst into song. Um, yeah. But there is a scene where like there's a really just like kind of magical scene of of I think it's just a recreation of of the original where Baloo is kind of floating on his back down a river and Mowgli is 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 sitting on his stomach and Baloo is just singing Bare Necessities and it's 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 a nice moment. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. I think we tuckered ourselves out being so um political with our review of Barbershop because we haven't touched upon any of the imperialism and kind of history of of um the Jungle Book and uh, what it has to say about uh colonialism and things like that. So my question about this is going to be Uh-huh. If you're a kid and you're watching this movie, does, is any of that carried over? If you have no context, not that that just means that this movie should exist or shouldn't exist, but just wondering, if you're a kid, do you take away anything good or bad from it morally? If, if you're a kid, you will absolutely come away from this movie feeling like colonialism is the fucking tits. <laughs> no. Um, it is... No, I mean, the, the, the message, you know, there is a lot of... I think you might actually vibe on how this movie kind of approaches that subject of like... You know this this you know this man this man cub um, who is in the jungle. You're vibing on that and doesn't belong in the jungle, 
and uh, you know it's not wherein he is oppressive. The fact that he's an oppressive force mm-hmm. um, is addressed very directly and uh, even by by the villain. Um, but you know, but it's kind of demonstrated by the end of the movie that like yes, like Mowgli doesn't. You know, like he he needs to be responsible. He needs to be responsible okay. because he's very he can be very destructive and not know it because they're all terrified of the main reason they don't trust humans is because of what they call the red flower, the red blossom, which is fire. Think about periods. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> if they're scared of the red tent, <laughs> there might be some reason behind that. I was like, oh man, I just got my red blossom. <laughs> <laughs> gotta go uh no you're so they're, fired. They're, they're <laughs> you're all fired so no so they're all scared of fire because of how easily how you know they don't have the ability to make fire and humans do mm-hmm. and fire destroys the forest and so it's very much about how Mowgli in ways that he's not even aware of has this kind of can just kind of be destructive mm. and so um and so he he has to kind of make amends and learn how to be more responsible um, oh. and sort of be aware of his his footprint, if you will, Didn't see by, that coming. by existing in the jungle with all these animals in their home, which is not his home. What are you going to rate this movie, Jason? I, You know, I'm going to be true to myself. I'm going to say consume moderation. I feel like I should mm-hmm. say binge it because, as I said, like it's I literally have nothing to complain about with this movie aside from the fact that I thought it was a little slow. Um, but since I'm not excited about it, I'm not going to tell you to binge it. So I'm going to say consume moderation, even though, as I said, there's really nothing wrong with it. All right. Um, the Jungle Book is rated PG for some sequences of scary action and peril, and it is out now. Um, on to our last movie of the week, which is our pick of the week, the first Monday in May. Pick of the week. Pick of the week. Pick, pick, pick is the pick, pick of the week. This documentary follows the creation of the Metropolitan Museum of Art's most attended fashion exhibition in history, China Through the Looking Glass. With unprecedented access, it captures the collision of high fashion and celebrity at the Met Gala, one of the biggest global fashion events chaired every year by the Vogue editor-in-chief, Anna Wintour. I think fashion should be recognized when it touches people and moves people. I mean, what more can you ask from art? So this is the second documentary feature to be made about a big event in Anna Wintour's calendar year. The first one was the September issue Mm -hmm. and all the work that goes into making that gigantic issue of uh, Vogue. Yes. Um, And now this one is a documentary about the Met Gala. How do how do those two movies compare? Uh, you know, in some ways they're really similar. Uh, so, you know, they're, each one kind of has Anna Wintour as this 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 figure of fear and reverence, uh, and everyone's just kind of running around trying to appease them while while bringing this thing to fruition that she is sort of like you know creative directing. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, each one kind of has a breakout star um, who is not Anna Wintour. And the September issue was Grace Coddington, mm-hmm. uh, who oh, we all yeah. fell in love with when we saw that movie. And in this one, it is a man named Andrew Bolton that I'll get into that a bit more later. Uh, I would say it's a bit more uh, revealing about Anna Wintour um, than September Issue because it, it kind of more directly addresses the conversations that we have all had about her. <laughs> have we? Um, around her, you know, just post Double Wears Prada, oh, you know, yeah. her having the reputation of. Uh, so there, there's these. These little shady edits and cuts that made me think the movie was going to be oblique about her reputation. Mm-hmm. Like there's a scene where like just a random shot of her walking with the words "death becomes her" on a wall behind her. <laughs> <laughs> like that feels pointed. <laughs> and uh, and then later there is a lengthy discussion about the sort of Chinese archetype of the dragon lady. Oh. And then it cuts very abruptly from like someone saying like, "and she'll just swallow you whole." to Anna Wintour sitting in the back of a limo with her black shades on <laughs> on her way to the new Vogue offices where she completely eats evi- a rat hole. where she quite literally unhinges her jaw and eats a rat hole <laughs> and then and then eviscerates their interior decorators um, for what she conceives to be their absolute fuck up of the new Vogue offices at Ooh. One World Trade Center this sounds good yeah yeah so you know so but at the same time then they pivot directly from that kind of cheeky um, segue mm-hmm into just very explicitly talking about Anna Wintour's reputation oh. as a dragon lady. 
and um, and Baz Luhrmann is one of the people who's being interviewed in the film because he helped uh, put together this big gala, and uh, and you know and he calls out the sexism of the Anna Wintour narrative. Uh, yeah. You know, he's like, if she was a man, I really just don't think we would talk about her the way we talk about her. Right. And uh, and then they show her being sat down for well, quite possibly it was a fake interview, only done for the sake of this documentary, because we never see the person's face who's interviewing her. Um, and um, they kind of go through some basic Anna Wintour questions, and they ask her about the Devil Wears Prada, mm. and um, you know, and if she feels like it was fair. And uh, and Anna Wintour has a very glass half full answer to that question. Where she's like, I think what that did was it got us all talking about fashion. It made it made fashion such a bigger piece of the conversation, and huh. and uh, and so I feel like I should be grateful to that film. Wow! And uh, and so yeah, so she spoken like a true dragon lady. Yes, exactly. But with that said, we do she, that swallows another rat. Yeah, exactly. And then she swallows the interviewer hole. So. <laughs> And then she torches the room with her fire. So just one step forward and two back for Anna Wintour. Um, so the exhibition that they're launching um, is called China Through the Looking Glass. Um, so this is about a bunch of non-Asian A-listers just showing up wearing Asian-accented uh, outfits. Yeah. Correct? Uh, yeah. So and that and that's kind of... So the, the movie, there's really two movies. There's two stories being told here. Um, the one is about... Because and I don't even think I realized this was the case. You know, always hear about the Met Gala. I just thought mm-hmm. it was just a big annual party. What I didn't realize is that not only is it uh, a fundraiser, um, but it is specifically to celebrate the launch of a new exhibition oh, okay. at the Met uh, at the Met at the Met. Um, so in uh, this one is China through the Looking Glass, and so that's why every year you know people kind of coordinate their 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 looks. Um, to correspond with whatever the the big um, you know exhibit is that they're mm-hmm. about to launch, so half of the movie is about all of the work that goes into just putting together the collection, the actual collection, oh, the art. yeah, the oh, okay. art and the fashion as well, um, because you know the um, the the Met in addition to the traditional art, there's also a lot of um, fashion that they show in this museum, and that's one of the big questions it talks about at the beginning is the perennial question of like. Is fashion art? Can fashion be considered art? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This movie overwhelmingly believes that it can, um, and and I would be hard pressed to argue after yeah. you see some of the just jaw droppingly gorgeous stuff you see in this movie. Holy hell! Um, so that's the one half, but the other half of the movie is uh, is Anna Wintour uh, just trying to organize the Met Gala with her like army of assistants, okay. and um, and that's where kind of all like the gossipy bits come in, mm. um, where you just like see them trying to figure out who, where to seat who, and then whose budget is so big, and um, and then like people are trying to call and get their guests, you know, their clients on the on the list for the party, and you can tell like when they really don't care about someone because they will like let the movie show them say something mean about them. Oh wow! Like there's a scene where one of one of the women who works under Anna Wintour is on the phone and she's like Josh Hartnett yeah and what's he been in lately nothing <laughs> and uh, and then there's a there's a little there's a little uh, hiccup with um, Chloe Sevigny and Solange being seated at the back corner table <laughs> and, they, and there's a camera there when Chloe Sevigny arrives and she's like oh I'm all by myself just like in high school oh it's like, oh Clomo uh, <laughs> so um, but yeah so the part of the movie that's about the the exhibit is really interesting because like initially they're kind of just in like the glow of having this this idea the concept and they're excited about it and then the questions start to be asked about like mm, but oh there uh-huh. are some sensitivities if we're going to be doing this and it just turns into this fucking hornet's nest um, and you know it just kind of just it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And uh, and it's just like it's just like ninety minutes of just like like upper class white people just wringing their hands. Is this um, racist? Being like, yeah, is this like is this too like as one person puts it in the movie like is this too Chinesey? Oh god! <laughs> uh, and they they even go to they go to Beijing um, to announce it, and uh, and they even they bring on Wong Kar Wai mm. um, to be like an artistic director for the exhibit. Mm-hmm. Um, so they can hide behind him and be like, look, 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 <laughs> he's cool with it. Um, there is this, uh, interview where Anna Wintour and, uh, and Andrew Bolton are sat down by a member of the Chinese press who, uh, begins to press them on like, you know, why are you doing another view of 
the same old, you know, iconography and styles and fashions from Chinese. Like, why is there never any modern? Why do we never see the West doing modern China? Mm. Why is it only ever like classic China? Um, and then one of them, not in that interview, but someone later is like, oh, I think Wong Kar Wai actually presses someone on that. He's like, okay, well, what is the modern Chinese aesthetic? Right. And they were like, well, we don't really have one yet. And he's like, right. Exactly. So there's only a traditional one. So that's what we're going to do. Um, <laughs> but it's funny seeing Andrew Bolton and Anna Wintour, these two white British people who, you know, have these elite jobs in New York City. You know, saying they're kind of like squirming through this interview with this member of the Chinese press who's trying to get them to be like, yeah, like, do you guys realize like how, you know, how much, how loaded it is whenever like the West decides to right. make something that's about China? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there are things that Wong Kar Wai helps them to navigate, such as at one point they're going to have Mao and Buddhas in the same room. And he's like, Ooh. shouldn't do that. And they're like, oh, really? Okay. Um, so, and yeah, and then, and then in the end, there's just the, just the explosion of, 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 you know, A-list celebrities wearing Asian accented couture. Uh, so yeah, but it it is funny the extent to which the entire movie does turn into this, this epic dialogue about, about, you know, like, and and I'm not saying that it it doesn't go super, it doesn't, it's by no means intellectual, but it does ask the questions Mm -hmm, and it does mm -hmm. show people trying to like wrangle with them while working with a real time, you know, ticking clock calendar, right. Working toward this because it's always, you know, the first Monday in May, hence the title of the movie. And so they're working down to the wire, trying to get all this very, couldn't be more ornate, more opulent production to put together while also trying to just get out of the way of any like horrifically bad press. So it's not all about Anna. No, 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 it's not. It's not. Um, a big part of it is also about this Andrew Bolton character I keep mentioning, who mm-hmm. is, he's sort of the the curator of the collection of the exhibit. And he is just adorable. Uh, he is just, he's such, he's like this little, like, just just sort of like, mm, just like runty little fashion nerd. Um, like very, he looks sort of like a very, he's like a bookish David Bowie. Um, okay. Like 40-ish bookish David Bowie. And uh, and he just in you know we get his story of like him falling off of fashion as this kid growing like working class England, and uh, and he just his passion for it. It's one of those things like if you're inspired by people who are passionate about things, then you'll be inspired by him, uh, because he just watching him in his like with his very like buttoned up, mm-hmm. low key. So it's, it kind of makes it even more fun because he's not like exuberant, right? You know, but you can just like just just the way that he lives his life and like like the single mindedness with which he pursues bringing this all to life. It's really, uh, it's really cool to watch. So he's sort of like the greatest Coddington of this movie. Um, if I remember, this is the one that had the Rihanna outfit, right? Where she was like, it was like straight up butt. Oh no, it wasn't the butt one. It wasn't the butt one? You're like, you're like, now remind me of Rihanna's butt. <laughs> I'd like to like bring to... up, I'd like to bring up Rihanna's butt. No. So this is the one where Rihanna wore this train. Oh. That was mm-hmm. like 10 stories long. Mm-hmm. Like this, like gorgeous yellow like coat that had the longest train like in history, and she just she just stood halfway up the red st- um you know the 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 red of uh, uh the red carpet, and just had it all fanned out over one entire like the the lower half of the steps was just covered in this train, and there is this like the movie has immense reverence for a lot of things. Um, things that are beautiful mm-hmm. and it saves its most sort of like reverential like awe moment for her arrival on the red carpet in oh, nice. that like the Andre Lantali is like seated at the top in his caftan and <laughs> he like he captain's start- log and- stardate one Rihanna has arrived <laughs> he's moved to tears uh, just watching her oh, come wow. up the stairs and um, and then once she's inside um, she uh, performs bitch better have my money uh, mm. So not wearing the coat anymore because right. then she would just knock over all the tables. But because <laughs> um, she does jump from table to table, and it's really funny because you see, the Met Gala is like probably the most like elite ticket in the world. Mm-hmm. Like, and Anna Wintour tries to bring down. They said the previous year they'd had like six hundred guests, and she's like, let's bring it down to five hundred. And uh, so just making it harder and harder to get in, and uh, the, everybody there, like you know, like it's like just it's like the biggest stars in the world. Um, what other celebrities are on display? All of them. <laughs> Quite oh. literally all of them. Every, like, yeah, just the biggest, all the biggest stars. I'm not saying the best stars, mm-hmm. but, like, Justin Bieber is there, and Kim and Kanye are there, and, you know, Kendall and Kylie Jenner are there. 
Um, and, uh, you know, Madonna is there, Cher is there, uh, Julianne Moore is there, uh, you know, Katy Perry, uh, Sarah Jessica Parker and Andy Cohen. You know, there's just like, mm. you know, the list goes on. It's just like, um, you know, Jessica Chastain. Like, just like all the biggest A-list stars are in this room. Bradley Cooper, George Clooney, uh, George Clooney and Amal Clooney. Uh, like, and, the, and, and so it's just funny seeing when Rihanna is doing Bitch Bear Have My Money. Um, and she's just like, and she is just jumping. Like, she's like, she's just like menacing her way down all the tables. And you just see all these just like in obscenely wealthy white people saying they're like standing up, kind of like trying to like nod their heads rhythmically <laughs> with this song that like could not be more street. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like it's just it's it's kind of hilarious. It's it's, it's a hilarious juxtaposition of what that song is mm-hmm. with where she's performing it. Right, and it's part of what makes her a badass, of course. Um, but uh, but yeah, Rihanna. There's some there's some behind the scenes footage of her also when they're at the rehearsal, and there is quite a bit of drama about even getting her to sign on because it turns out that because they they have to pay. You know, the Met people have to pay to bring these people in. Um, or at least for like the talent. Yeah, performers. Uh, since Rihanna's performing. And Rihanna was charging twice as much as the highest amount they had ever paid for anybody ever. Oh, wow. Yeah. So they let that Worth it. They let that get talked about on camera as well. Are, th- are there any other like sort of like behind the scenes or like footage of like Anna or anybody that we could scoop up? Um, yeah, I mean, you just you you just get a lot of, and you you do see her just continually doing that thing that she does, where she wears sunglasses indoors and doesn't give a fuck. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's strange. Uh, you see some nice footage of her beautiful daughter B. Schaefer um, being fit for her um, dress for the gala, and uh, you know, I, I feel like you get to see uh, you see Anna Wintour kind of staring questioningly at Michelle Obama. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, there's there's I mean, she's I mean, Anna Wintour is obviously endlessly fascinating to watch. And uh, and so uh, in this in this movie, it does make her. It does. I think it gives us a little bit more of a glimpse into like just who she is as a human being oh, uh, than the September issue did. This is the pick of the week. So Jason says, binge it. Binge it. Uh, the first Monday in May is out now, and it is rated PG thirteen for brief, strong language. Yeah. So like, it's not it's not a profound movie, and it's definitely like you know like it is catnip to you know a certain section of the population to which i am a member <laughs> um you know but it's just like it's 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 just it's a reverence for be- for beautiful things mm-hmm. is i think like it it just it it really touches that in a way that feels magnificent and just enchanting to watch and it just it makes you excited to like look at beautiful things and you know so in that sense it can't help but be shallow yeah um but you know but at least it asks a lot of interesting questions along the way to this like just orgy of of a-list access that sounds great i i'm definitely interested in checking it out um so that is it that's the last movie yep we're done um thanks so much for listening be sure to uh, subscribe to itunes um be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes or SoundCloud or wherever you listen. Uh, rate and review us if you get a chance. That would be great. And you can find us on Twitter. I'm at Fight Balance. And Jason is at the Jason Leroy. Um, see you next week. Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. You made it to the end. That's amazing. There, there goes, goes the, the binge. binge.